Hi, and welcome to the Unlocking Customer Service Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Richmond. I'm here every week talking with guests who can help you realize the full potential of your contact center and customer service team to keep growing your business. Oh, and you can do all of that while still prioritizing your people. In fact, that's the secret to it all. Let's chat with our next guest. Today, I'm thrilled to sit here with Sharpen's very own Chief Technology Officer, Kevin Schatz. You know, in, in our world, there is the there are customers, which, which would be agents, so that people actually use our product. Um, and then they have their customers, um, you know, who interface with, with those agents. When I think about a customer experience, I always default to the end user experience in my brain. When we're talking about technology, the first question in my brain, I think the first question for anybody should be the problem that we're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of these things are interesting. Are, are we trying to solve like a technological gap? Are we trying to improve a process? Are we trying to um, make people's day-to-day lives better? And I think one of the things that we miss a lot is that last piece. Like what are what is the frontline experience day-to-day right now currently? And mm-hmm. if we do if we do disrupt that or we change it or we improve it, how do we know that we're actually improving it? Um, yeah. And it's easy to miss, especially at a buyer level. You know, buyers typically aren't those that are doing the actual day-to-day work with those tools and technologies. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, how do we get perspective on that day-to-day experience? And is it good or bad? And how do we improve it? Mm-hmm. The, the person who is doing the shopping and answering the questions is not necessarily the person who's going to be sitting there at their desk using it. I think that I think they rarely, very rarely are. I'd also, I probably expect that rarely do those end users actually get put into the conversation on a buying mm-hmm. decision, which I think is problematic. Um, one of the things that's intriguing about what we do here, at least has been intriguing for me, like when we talk about how we, on the flip side of this, how we solve a problem, how we build new technology to solve a problem. Um, my brain always defaults to the end user use case. And so we have some need that we're trying to solve for someone on the other end of the keyboard. Um, and understanding what that is and how we make that better is, is, is pretty critical. I think that's mm-hmm. a piece that gets missed quite a bit. A lot of times we're talking about new technology we're solving uh, for a, like a top level KPI, you know, a business metric that we want to put on a slide and you know, show improvement on. Um, but there's a whole lot of abstraction between that and what your you know, end user, what your customers actually do day-to-day to to drive that needle you know people really love to you know have some control over um like company even company performance high level company performance and they want to know that they're moving the needle the right way Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. as an example um, we're going through a buying process with a new um, piece of technology today um, and just thinking about the the end user here for us is actually our customer care team And some of the things that they have to do and the hurdles they have to jump through to solve some problems. And we're trying to make a technology decision on um, what we can integrate with to make that their lives easier. Mm -hmm. You know, so so to bring into that conversation are those key stakeholders from that department, you know, the people who actually do the work and the leadership team to say, hey, if we went down this path and we integrated with this technology, let's talk about does it solve issues that you guys are having today? Or let's at least confirm that they do. Mm -hmm. And then when you're shopping for these kind of things too, everything comes with a list of what it does and all of the great new things. But how do you look at that list and not get overwhelmed by 
too many things. Yeah, I think I think it's easy to get overwhelmed by feature lists. Honestly, I think a lot of those are meant to just be like very shotgunny, like shotgun spread. So I I default back to like from from us personally and how we look at things um, on my team and buying new things, um, almost sort of gloss over the feature list. I think it's important to focus on the actual problem we're trying to solve for. And so, you know, I think much like a phone screen when you're, when you're, before you bring somebody into interview, that's just like the first hurdle. So you have these concepts of what you need um, out of a new technology. You know, there's some sort of table stakes type stuff, but it's typically this, these feature lists or these checklists are pretty generic and you can kind of check yes or no based on very vague information. So I don't know. I kind of try to wade through that and just, I want to see the product and I want to see how it works. Even past that, the, even past a demo, I want to, I want to feel it and see it. So um, I would always encourage a proof of concept if possible, or at least something where you can mess with that product and see how it works. And, and from there, you'll always find more interesting questions to ask. You know, this seems to work here, but um, I'm unable to toggle this, this particular piece on or off. And it seems like I would want to. So walk me through how to do that. Or am I thinking about this use case totally wrong? I always find I get better questions or better ideas of the product if I can actually play with it a little bit. Mm -hmm. What's the opportunity cost left behind when companies buy complex tools with loads of new features, but never fully adopt them? I feel like we have all see that in play in so many different ways. Yeah, I mean, so a, a big problem, I've seen this a million times, you know, you get the budget, the value props there, at least on paper, you buy the thing, and then you never use it. Mm -hmm. um, it's really easy to do actually, or, you know, I think more commonly you use, you, you implement it, but you implement 5% of it, you implement the things that are easy and you miss the rest. So a couple of things I would advocate there. One is a, is a hard definition of what ROI looks like with this tool. I think, you know, here, here we focus on ROI as a value prop for our technology because um, we believe that we can deliver it. And I think any company who doesn't have a compelling ROI story is, is probably a question mark in my brain. Um, and so, you know, when I'm buying and, and we're talking to a company right now um, about a technology and just basic questions on, hey, what's what's your ROI pitch? How would we measure ROI or how do companies like us that use your software um, leverage ROI? And getting a, an unsatisfactory answer for that is is pretty um, like shocking. It's kind of like a pause moment. like. Certainly you have people that are using your technology like we're describing, we're going to use it. And you've seen them, you know, be able to go back to their leadership and explain how they're, you know, getting benefit out of it, right? It's that basic conversation. So um, you got to start there because other, otherwise you'll buy it. Um, you'll, you'll have some people mess with it and you just won't see the full impact that you were thinking in your head when you started on this. You know, I go back to the interview process. You know, you do your best to bring in the right talent, but you will make mistakes. You can't always funnel out or filter out. Um, you know, there's just too many variables to keep track of or understand in that short time period. It's the same thing with a purchasing decision. You can't try something out in a production-like environment for six months before you pay for it. It doesn't work that way. So, yeah, sometimes you have to pull the plug and having a regular check-in is, is a good start to understanding if you should do that or not. That's why you get those 30-day trials, right? That's why you get 30-day trials or a POC, um, you know, or anything like that. Something something past a demo. I think another piece there that we didn't talk about, but um, 
you know, just around this idea of buying things and maybe regretting it due to not implementing it or otherwise, you definitely want something to base reality on. Um, and so you can, you, you can use a demo. A demo is a good place to start. A proof of concept, a 30-day, 60-day proof of concept trial is great, especially if you can plug it into your um, current use cases, if it's easy to set up, if it's easy to use. Um, especially in a you know a cloud world, you know a SaaS company like Sharpen, um, it's very easy to just log in and go, mm -hmm. um, and that's a great that's a great baseline for reality, right? You know, it gets a little more complicated if you want to integrate to some homegrown system that can be that can have a longer tail on it. But I would one hundred percent recommend you know getting it getting as close to the technology as you can um, to understand if it's going to solve the problems that you expect it to solve. Mm -hmm. So this goes into the, uh, we talked a little bit about like acquiring and looking for technology. And then the next step is actually buying it. How do you, how do you pick the right one? How do you solve the problems, meet the budget, uh, get the features you want? How do you meet in the middle there? So when you say meet in the middle, do you mean this is like, this is a, your brain's on cost conscious? Yeah. Balancing budget and functionality and proving that ROI is still there. Okay, so I think, you know, where my head goes in terms of how do I be, I guess, mindful with budget, which I guess is really what it is. It goes back to what are we trying to solve for? So if we can, if we can compare, you know, competitive products or competitive technologies, it certainly isn't always the most expensive one is the right solution. And it's also not necessarily that the, the least expensive one is the wrong solution or even that it, it's even a less a lesser solution. It all comes back to what you're trying to solve for. So I'd look really closely at what those products are trying to solve for, right? So, and you can take, you can take Sharpen's position as an agent first company. So when I first came to Sharpen and this idea that we focus on the agent experience was really compelling. Um, in my past, it's always been in our industry, the customer experience. And I think um, we all know that you know, 20 years of that, 30 years of that focus is probably not the root of the issue. Um, and we know this, we know this from other things, right? Like I keep coming back to the end user, um, which could be a, an employee, it could be a customer, it could be any, anyone whose day-to-day life revolves around the technology or using the technology. That's where, um, I feel like that's where the primary focus should be when we talk about technological improvements. So if you have a company that's focused on the right thing, and it aligns with your use case or what you're trying to solve, that's where I would start. And and from there, it's just a question of, you know, do they sufficiently meet the, the use cases that you're trying to solve for? I think a lot of times, um, the other thing that, that gets in my head around this is integration costs and do things fit with your current technology stack that can add complexity and cost in there that that's sort of hidden. Also looking out for add-on things. You see a lot of things are read a lot of things that a technology can do and they're not actually baked into the cost that you think mm -hmm. you're getting. So that gets back to, you know, seeing the technology, using it and asking the right questions around, does it, these things that we're talking about that, you, that it has, that solves my problem. Are they included in this, uh, you know, dollar amount that we're talking about? Does that fit within our budget or not? Mm -hmm. And that goes back to that feature list too. Is it on the feature list? Is it is it on the feature list in the way you want it to be, uh, or is it in there in a way that is going to cost you more to get it to work the way you need it to to solve your business case? Yeah, and and um, so even past the feature list, you know, some companies it's it's getting interesting, right? Especially when you look in a SaaS world, you have these all-in-one pricings, which are which are really consumable. 
and then you start to think about you know the the variables that can that dictate the spin there is it number of users is it number of sessions is it um, number of requests you know i've just recently we've talked through um, a technology that we've that we've went with you know so we we're implementing a new technology and thinking about you know how they how they drive or how they dictate pricing and a lot of that has to do with their like their worldview on how you should use their product and so i find myself asking you know just trying to get on level footing here's what we're trying to solve for and it feels like you know this is how we would do it but that doesn't seem to align with this this pricing model um you know and so in, in this re most recent case we've you know switched out our use case a little bit it still solves our problem but it's a different way to think about usage so i think that's another way because you can get into a situation where you're spending more because you're not you're not leveraging the platform in the way that they're expecting you to leverage it mm -hmm. so what's the key to adding efficiency but then not not overloading the the end user not giving them more than they need and making them relearn it or or how do you stay efficient on budget with the functionality you need but keep your end users happy and that's a tough question I, I get i go back to things like change management one thing i've experienced in my life is that and there's a, and there's one of my favorite quotes around it which is um, people hate change but they love progress and so it seems kind of odd but a lot a lot of you know efficiencies and how you get the most out of something new is really how how people feel about how that change was implemented and do they view it as a change of progress and do they have input or do they feel like the people they trust had had input and are sufficiently explaining why why we're making this change or why i need this training on this new thing or you know how it benefits us mm -hmm. so yeah because from you see like a shiny new thing and you're like from a management standpoint you're like this is awesome this is going to solve all our problems and then it gets down to the the people actually using it and they're like this is so confusing and hard i can't use this and then you're out money time frustration just you have to think about it from the beginning yeah that's it and and the way that will bubble up is the end user the end user will always have questions with a new technology that's really normal. It's a good thing. It means they're trying to figure it out and they're interested. If if their direct, you know, leadership level, or you know, the 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 people in the room that are that are supposed to be the experts on this new thing or the guides on this new thing don't have the answer or they don't have a sufficient answer around the why. Okay, I'm, I have to do it this new way, but why? Um, you know, this new way takes longer, and they don't have a good reason or. Um, you know, somebody with buy-in on that team that people trust don't agree with it. And you can get that a lot from the way people answer questions um, and body language if they don't feel like they were included. Um, you know, even if something is progress and it's something that is good for everybody and it's just a hurdle, we just need to learn a new thing, um, that can certainly kill a project if people don't view it that way or they don't have the buy-in. So I don't know if that's the quite the answer you were you were looking for, but I do think this change management um, change management is is one of the tougher problems to solve. Mm -hmm. And I think it starts with just including the right people to make sure that you're, you have buy-in that this thing we're doing is, is a progression and it's better. And it is not just a change because someone who is so far removed from our day-to-day -day decided we're going to use this new thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I love my current tool. And then, you know, management or someone came in and said, no, we're using this other tool. Mm -hmm. figure, figure it out like that that's never going to work or at least if it does work 
you will probably have people looking for different different things to do. And that all that all goes back to that end experience, the end user experience. If you haven't thought about that, and you end up uh, not involving the right people in your choice, then you're going to lose employees ultimately, and that's that's detrimental on on all fronts. Yeah, I think so. And and you know, progress doesn't mean doesn't mean it's immediately obvious or immediately easy. You know, there there is a learning curve to to a lot of things. And we've all we've all experienced that kind of stuff where you you go from one tool to another or one technology to another and it's it's confusing because it's not you know it's just not part of your day-to-day experience you have to learn how to fundamentally do things that were just no-brainers before now you got to relearn how to do them so some of that's not always obvious so individual you know individual reaction to the new thing isn't necessarily an indicator that it's the right thing or not but you you will you will have a lot better chance of implementing you know something beneficial if everyone if the right people feel like they were included and were included and they can help explain why we're why we're making these decisions and why it's better um because yeah it does it does all come down at the end to like the people who use this thing day to day and whether they're happy or not you will hear about it if they're not mm-hmm. you you will have to make changes if that, yes. that becomes like a consistent feedback loop so what does that mean success looks like? Like if you've chosen the right thing, met your budget, got the features you want, how do you know you've done it well? That, well, the, there should be some quantitative answer. I'll go, I'll go back to the ROI thing. So at the top level, you have to have some return on investment that makes some sense. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to mean we spent X dollars and we're saving Y, where Y is way more than X. Like you don't, you don't have to have necessarily something that you know, ties back immediately to that hard kind of number, but ultimately you will come down to some, some cost savings that you need to quantify. And that could just be something as, as seemingly innocuous as, you know, employees are just happier. So Mm -hmm. we keep them longer. So we don't have to train as many people. We don't have to go hire more people. Um, They stay with us longer. Um, You know, they know our company, they know what we're trying to do and they're, they're suggesting better improvements. I mean, there's things in there that, kind of snowball. But at the very least, you're thinking about, you know, some sort of pulse quantitatively on on what the change is. It could be something like an NPS survey or a CSAT internally, if this is a technology that's impacting um, internal employees. Um, if it's something that you're rolling out to your customers, like a new chat, you know, channel or or something like that, certainly surveying them would be a good idea. You probably would want to tie in you know, improved experience feedback to something monetary. Hopefully you're spending less money or saving hours of time. The thing that I had referred to earlier with with this technology that we're looking at, you know, the expectation is we'll save our, our customer care team a, a lot of time a week um, in tracking time is, tracking down issues. And that directly will correlate to, you know, extra hours they can spend, you know, doing other things, helping customers or making improvements. So um, it, I think it goes back to just defining how you're going to analyze success from the start and then following through on it. If you're making that distinction up front and you've talked to the right, you know, stakeholders, they've given you the metrics we want to measure, you know, everybody top down can help drive success in that way. Should mean we've thought about most of the right things to think about. So it sounds like if you go into a project with the goal of, you can have a couple different goals. They don't have to be, you can have a number, but you can also have your employees and your 
end user's happiness as a goal. That's if if you can tie that to a way to make your choices, then have that as an end goal when you go into your technology search. It should be a, a table stake item, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> is it is this is this going to make our our whoever our employees our customers lives easier? That should be that should be a table stake item that you want to measure. You want to get that good feedback. You know, aside from that, you get the obvious stuff around saving money. So yeah, I, I think that's a that's certainly something we should keep in mind. So I hit the end of our notes. Do you want to do any pickups? One thing one thing I'd written down that we didn't talk about was was around this feature checklist. And one of them that's in my brain is AI and artificial intelligence and machine learning. So it's it's been interesting. I I feel like you know it's artificial intelligence. And machine learning, you know, has been a, it's been around for a long time. Um, however, you know, the last couple of years, it's really been the de facto RFP question. Mm -hmm. You know, what is, you know, what are you doing around AI? What are you doing around machine learning? Um, it's been the de facto marketing item on everybody's webpage, and it's interesting because it doesn't it doesn't seem to normally tie to any real world use case um, that someone's trying to solve. Normally when I talk to someone about, you know, what they're attempting to do. So I always come back to what problem are we trying to solve? Okay. So mm -hmm. what, what are you trying to solve with machine learning today? And, and I, I rarely get a satisfactory answer around how, you know, this machine learning tool or concept that they're thinking about is going to help solve the problem. It seems mm -hmm. to typically, um, you know, it's more, it's, it's more of a, it feels better to know that you're thinking about machine learning or if I, if I, if I'm looking at this technology and I can't check that box, then it's harder for me to justify the purchase upstream, even though it doesn't actually have much to do with the value I'm trying to drive. A gamification is another one that's, that's oddly in there. It seems like mm -hmm. these are just words people, you know, everyone hears, everyone's saying, so we have to talk about them all the time. Mm-hmm. I just heard that yesterday on a vendor demo gamification around something that didn't really apply, but I, people want it, I guess, for a reason yet unknown. It seems like it's, you know, it's, it's because what are you trying to achieve by putting machine learning or gamification into your product? That's the table stakes there. That's what you should be asking people is what, do you, what are you trying to get out of it by making it a game versus each other? Are you trying to make them be actually be more successful, feel more successful? Are you trying to, you know, actually get your, get your, contact times down by making everybody do it faster because there's ways to solve this with real applications instead of just the term. Yeah, I think I think in my in my head when you know when I'm looking at potential technology, um, I, I don't ever find myself asking, hey, what are you doing with gamification? Or hey, what is your what type of machine learning approaches are you using? Because because they're really irrelevant. The real the real questions are how can I solve these problems with your technology? And I typically, you typically already have a, a, a sort of answer to that when you're, you know, even when you're responding to some, um, you know, cold marketing outreach or you've outreached to some technology to try to get more information because you feel like they can help. Um, and if they're solving that problem using, you know, machine learning, that's great. Um, there's some really good benefits that come to that. If it's a use case that makes sense for your business or your, your problem, but really it's, a lot of this stuff is irrelevant. It's just under the hood, you know, it's buzzwords with under the hood stuff that don't necessarily apply mm -hmm. um, to the to the problem that we're trying to solve. 
And that might give you another thing to look at too when you're shopping is, hey, if I've got this buzzword on my list, what am I, what do I actually need from that? And how can I make sure that what I'm picking out actually does what I need it to do and doesn't just have this attached to it? Or did, or did someone just say, you know, hey, ask them what they're doing with artificial intelligence. Um, Somebody stuck their head in the conference room and is like, put AI on the list. You know, what do you, what do you mean you didn't buy it? What do you mean you went with a technology where they're not using AI? This is, you know, this is like CYA type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so unless you're getting into, you know, unless you're getting into this buyer, um, you know, really deep in this buyer world of let's talk about machine learning models um, and, you know, how you're evaluating data and what predictions we're making and um, what variables we're allowed to tweak there, which would which would be quite odd, at least in our space. Um, it's really more about we're making we're making better decisions and here's how we're making them you know when we talk about things that that sharpen does in a context center world you know and we're assigning interactions to the right agent um, or we're, we're assigning the right agent to an interaction um, you can get into predictive models with that but it's really just a question of how how far down that rabbit hole you want to go and does it really help you does it really help you solve a problem because a lot of this stuff is complex and it's complex, needlessly complex for many use cases out there. There's trade-offs too, because if you need to get a, a super complicated interaction flow to an agent, there has to be processing time. And so is that a trade-off that you want the customer to have to deal with or the agent? And so everything is everything comes at a, a different opportunity cost there. That's that's exactly right. And and so when we talk about we can we can link this back to timelines. Um, the more complex that those sorts of things get um especially when you're looking at extremely large data sets and trend analysis over time the timeline to make that stuff work to implement it um to get the to get the, the data to implement it to write the etls all this stuff can can really be a hindrance we, we can talk about months or years in some cases so you know back to this idea of identify your roi how you're going to measure um, the value that you're going to get and then make a timeline and make sure that it can fit. Mm -hmm. um, you may find that the timeline is much longer. You know, the, sh the shortest critical path timeline is much longer than you want it to be. And it would be better to find that out before you buy and spend six months trying to implement something than, you know, than six months down the road. Mm -hmm. I've seen that before. It's not fun. <laughs> uh, what are companies doing wrong when adopting new technology? Like you were saying, you've seen, you know, six six months turns into a year if you haven't scoped and planned well. I'll, I'll say the biggest thing, the, the worst thing you can do, and I've seen companies do this. I've I've been a I've been in the in the in the room of companies doing this, is getting into a an extremely long implementation cycle for a new technology and getting so far in that both sides have to pretend it's working even though it isn't. Everybody just holds on and, and hopes that you're going to make it to the end. Well, if you if you think about, you know, a, a large purchase that someone's, you know, got their name tied to um, and you think about the people on the other side that are trying to make it work. Yeah, you can definitely get to a point where there's enough there's enough pressure, you know, there's enough pressure to inflate the value that you're getting out of it, even if you're not getting any. Or even if you're mm -hmm. not getting, you're getting less than any. Um, and it's a big waste of time. So, uh, when I think, so that's like a worst case scenario on things that people do wrong or could do wrong when adopting technology. I think most of the time, 
there's just a couple of variables, right? There's there's budget. You want to standard budget. There's the there's the the value, the ROI you want to get out, which you need to define up front. You need to make that commitment or that promise, and you need to you need to make it happen within a timeline that you're going to define. I think, you know, not assigning a responsible party to make that technology change happen within that timeline that's a miss. Um, that responsible party has to have the right stakeholders in the fold, our business owners who you know either lead end users or have some end users in the meetings at the table um, to make sure there's buy-in and we've thought of all the right stuff. You know, and then it, it all comes back to, you know, are we solving the right? Do all those people think that we're solving the right problem? Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can make all those pieces fit, and it's not hard to do, but if you can make all those pieces fit then then you avoid all the problems. And if those pieces don't fit, you end up with problems. Thanks for coming on and sharing all this information with us. Really appreciate uh, your expertise and your time. Yep, you too. See you. Bye. And that's all for this season of Unlocking Customer Service. We learned a ton and hope you did too. Bookmark these episodes for when you need some inspiration and stay tuned for announcements about season two. You can catch it all on Apple, Spotify, and Google Play or head to sharpencx.com slash podcast to listen to all the episodes on demand and share them with your coworkers.